welcome to Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. I met Brian Dolan during his days at Moby Health News. So when he started Exits and Outcomes, it was absolutely logical to follow his new venture closely. And ultimately, I became a subscriber. As a fanboy of Exits and Outcomes, I reached out to Brian to see if he'd be willing to be a sparring partner on this podcast series. Where his research is available, I'd rely on it during my discussions, and we also agreed to always have a journalist-driven question from him for all of our guests. He graciously agreed, and I am super excited to kick off this limited series with none other than Brian Dolan, who I call the Digital Health Detective. Brian, why don't you introduce yourself and tell our audience who you are and what you're all about? Thanks, Eugene. Yeah, so my name is Brian Dolan. I'm a longtime journalist. I think most people probably remember me from my time at Moby Health News, which is one of the early digital health publications in the space. I started that up with uh, my college roommate, actually, Joe Malley, back in 2008. So we were a couple years out of school and had this idea kind of the, you know, where the telecom industry really meets healthcare. And so it was very mobile health focused. That's hence the name, which remains to this day, which I think is pretty amazing. It's still called Moby Health News. But, you know, back then it, it was really more about what smartphones and apps were doing in healthcare. And, um, you know, we really built out the publication from there into the wider world of digital health. So, yeah, that was about seven or eight years. In, in 2015, we sold Moby Health News to Hims. So I was at Hims for a little bit. And then um, just about a year and a half to two years ago, I started a new venture called Exits and Outcomes. So that's what I'm doing right now. And that's more of a market research, insights-focused media startup. And um, I've got three newsletters that go out on different days of the week and a number, an increasing number of long form reports, about a dozen of them today that really dig into typically individual companies and kind of their strategy, some of their financial metrics, if I can figure them out. And um, yeah, other kind of investigative journalism about things in, in digital health. Fantastic. So maybe just a few comments on uh, Moby Health. I remember the first time I subscribed and started reading and, and indeed, actually, if you think about it, not that much changed from everybody still calling apps, right? <laughs> and um, the second piece to this, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the three-part newsletter because I, I'm an avid reader and actually a subscriber as well, just the three pieces to it. If you can just dive a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, sure. So I started out with just one weekly newsletter that goes out on Fridays, and that's really focused on pharma and digital health, but I think even more specifically, digital therapeutics, and especially within that, I think prescription digital therapeutics. So really, digital therapeutic companies and products that are, are trying to replicate the pharma go-to-market. And um, that's really where I think Exits and Outcomes has kind of built most of its following. And of course, as things started to get increasingly interesting with companies like Livongo and Teladoc. And, you know, I think it was probably Livongo going public. It started to push me a little more to dig into that side of the industry. So I launched a, another newsletter. It's every other Wednesday, and that's focused on companies that distribute via enrollment. So typically this is a company that's selling into self-insured employers in the States or working directly with health insurance companies. And you know, I think what I find is I kind of look at those two different worlds of enrollment-focused digital health and prescription digital therapeutics. I mean, it's a very different model, and the companies in each of those categories have very different challenges. So to me, it makes sense to break them out and to you know, write about them as a group as opposed to just the wider world of digital health, which is what we did at Moby Health News. And then, yeah, the, so the third one is a Monday newsletter, which is free. Anyone can sign up for that. 
And that's mostly a, uh, a funding focused newsletter. So anything in health tech, even broader than digital health. And uh, I'm really trying to put together the most comprehensive list of fundings each week. And I typically get about 25, 26. So much more than you'll see elsewhere. And, um, you know, that's just a lot of a lot of legwork digging through the SEC filings in the U.S. and uh, and elsewhere. So, yeah, that's that's the mix. It's really those three. Amazing. Better you than me uh, doing this and keeping <laughs> us all informed. Let's dive deeper. You, you, you kind of touched on PDT and enrollment, but let's step back a little bit even further. When did you start covering DTX? And maybe, you know, as you started covering, I'm sure you dug in, you know, with your journalistic capabilities, unlike mine, into what the hell is digital therapeutics? You know, again, just from timing perspective and a little bit of the history. Yeah, so that's a, there's a lot there. There's probably three or four questions. I would say we started covering digital therapeutics as we know it today at Moby Health News from day one. I did write about this industry a little bit in a prior job when I was writing more broadly about the mobile industry. There were some companies doing things in healthcare, but I would say back then it was it was more tech-enabled health services, not so much digital therapeutics. But you know, I think day one at Moby, week or week two, we already had written about a pioneering company called WellDoc which I think many people would credit as the original digital therapeutic company. And, you know, they were the first prescription digital therapeutic or digital health program uh, for diabetes management. So they led the way. I think they really did pave a lot of what we're seeing today. And if you talk to some of the companies that are PDT, self-described as PDTs today, they'll, they'll tell you WellDoc was an inspiration at some level. But um, so, yeah, that was back 2008, 2009. In terms of what is the definition, um, this is a sticky question. You know, I, I think of these things, I try to have a pretty fluid mindset about it, you know, because it's always changing. And definitions for industry terms, industry jargon, it's really about what is the consensus view or something approaching a consensus view. Because it doesn't really matter if, if I have a better definition, I think, than someone else. If nobody knows that or thinks of it that way, it's not helpful. And so I think the definition that is emerging is the one that's coming out of the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. I think they really are building the consensus around what a digital therapeutic is. So that's where it's at today. I think, though, you know, for the last 15, 20 years, this term has had different meanings. And if you dig into the USPTO patent database and you look for this term, you'll see mentions of it from medical imaging companies. It's actually a term of art when it comes to like diagnostic medical imaging. And this is way over my head, but... They talk about a digital therapeutic as being some part of the process for, you know, making diagnoses based on images. So I couldn't tell you what piece of that is, is a digital therapeutic, but, you know, that, that's out there. So I think if you ask somebody in the medical imaging industry 15 years ago, they would, they would be able to tell you what it was. And then if you fast forward kind of, you know, that's turn of the century, that's like 2000, 2002. You fast forward more to like 2008, 2009, I think there starts to be more mentions of it as digital therapeutic massage. This is like just the onset of more digital consumer products. So that's that's kind of where the term starts to live. And it really wasn't until I think, you know, the mid oddies uh, or late oddies, you know, 2010, 2012, 13, 14, that it starts to take on the meaning that we know today. And it's really a credit, I think, the, the earliest mentions of digital therapeutics as we know them today was uh, a combination sort of I think of it as almost like the telephone, you know, was invented by two people at the same time. I think, you know, Sean Duffy at Omada Health coined the term rather famously as part of uh, one of their fundraisers at Omada. I think Andreessen Horowitz helped promote that. They were part of that round. So they helped drive the term at the time to more public acknowledgement. And then sort of, I think more quietly, just because they were lesser known, Click Therapeutics, David Klein, I think they... Um, 
it was around the same time that, that they were using the term as well. And they even trademarked it, which I find to be amazing. But, um, you know, they, they had different definitions. And there's kind of some ironic things about that we could get into maybe. But, you know, I think Click Therapeutics remains a digital therapeutic company, a prescription digital therapeutic company. And so, you know, their more broad view of a digital therapeutic as, you know, software for treatment is sort of how I think it's, that's probably the simplest way to explain it today. But uh, at the same time, Omada Health has really started to move away from the term. And I think there are parts of the Omada offering that you could still say are digital therapeutic, but, you know, they're, they're becoming more of a, a virtual care company. And some of these companies are evolving away from it and becoming more, you know, human powered and, and looking more like a virtual care provider and less like, you know, an automaton, a, a digital therapeutic is, in my view, typically less humans are involved. So that's a long-winded answer to a, a complicated question there. <laughs> no, listen, I, I absolutely love it. And I think since we're on that topic, you know, around uh, you, you kind of kicked it off with prescription digital therapeutic versus enrollment model, right? But also I kind of just joke around a bit. It's something like an Amada is becoming kind of disease management 2.0 yep. versus a prescription digital therapeutic. So let me hear a little bit of your thoughts and how in your mind, I think it's pretty clear already as, as we've been talking, how you're dividing this up, yep. but ultimately, obviously, for the patient. So let, let's dive into PDT, Disease Management 2.0, and any other subgroups yeah. that you see circling around. Yeah. So I think to really understand it, you need to come at it from different lenses. You know, So the one that I settled on for my business, for my publication, is the distribution method. So it's the prescription pad for PDTs versus enrollment for what I consider, you know, enrollment focused companies. And it just, if you start there, if you take the distribution method as your organizing characteristic, it all kind of falls into place. Like there's always going to be some variance within those two groups. But to me, those businesses are all closer to each other than other categories. You know, I think today, the way that digital therapeutics, I think, distinguish themselves from the pack, it's more about efficacy. Like, do you have evidence that your intervention is positively affecting patients' quality of life and, you know, driving positive patient outcomes. That seems to be where the definition is hanging its hat today. It's like, you know, there's X hundred thousand number of health apps out there. We are not those. We are something different. A digital therapeutic actually helps patients and we prove it. And I think where that breaks down, I mean, I think that's a great organizing principle. I think it's helping to sort of change the discussion of digital health away from one that's the Wild West for 15 years, you know, so like, okay, let's focus on interventions that have evidence. But again, nobody's policing that evidence. I think some of the companies that are you know, the highest profile digital therapies companies might have evidence that is now being called into question. So, you know, it's a good start, but if you really want to dig in and understand the space, there's not enough analysis of the evidence that's out there to use that, you know, as a wholly organizing principle to say, okay, this, this is a company that we should consider therapeutic or not. So I think you're right that disease management is a longstanding category. And I think the virtual versions of that, the companies that fit into that world are going to continue to be in that category. I think long-term, we're not going to think of them as digital therapeutics. I think they are sort of, you know, very innovative, but they're building on a category that existed. And I think a lot of the prescription digital therapeutics companies, you know, take Achille Interactive Lab as an example. They are creating a new category that didn't really exist before. It's very drug-like, but you wouldn't call that disease management. You know, it's, it is therapeutic, it's software as treatment. It's very different. You know, you play this game and it helps with some of your cognitive issues. I mean, that, that didn't exist before. And so I think that's where the category 
the definition will evolve into that very specific group of companies that are, are treating people. And that's very different from diabetes management, which we've had for many years. And so since there is an existing category for that, I think that they're going to be lumped into it eventually. So yeah, that's kind of where my head is at when you start to look at it on the product side and the claim side and less so on the distribution side. It's sort of like what is truly novel here and the PDT category, especially as it relates, and it typically does to sort of the you know, neurology side of things, that to me is, is the emerging category and the one that will, will win out as, you know, whatever we end up calling it, prescription digital therapeutics is my vote, but I think that will remain as a category for a fair number of years, a, a decade or so. So before we jump into kind of what you see the future is, which sounds like you already hinted at this a little bit, but I'm going to rewind back again. And, and you mentioned WellDoc and diabetes. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit where, from a therapeutic area perspective, kind of where it started, where it's been going? And I think the third part is, where do you see more activity coming as far as therapeutic areas are concerned? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think I probably don't have too much insight here. I think a lot of this is probably pretty obvious, but you know, I think digital health in general really has long been focused on cardiometabolic therapeutic areas, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular, obesity, COPD, asthma is sort of part of that. And, you know, I think that those areas were kind of the focus for many years. And then I think there was a period not too long ago, maybe three years ago, where behavioral health really became a massive focus. A lot of these companies started adding in those sorts of TAs or acquiring companies in that space, partly in recognition that, you know, mental health cuts across everything and is an important piece of it. And I think that also ended up being an insight for this new group of PDT companies, because most of them are focused on a mental health related therapeutic area, but for a specific population, which sometimes is a population with one of those cardio metabolic chronic comorbidities, issues. right? They yeah, exist. comorbidities. So, <laughs> you know, it's like anxiety, treating the anxiety for people who have cancer. I mean, it's, it is a cancer focused digital therapeutic company, but they're really only tackling the mental health aspects of it. So I think that's the evolution that I've seen. I think we're going to push more and more into the mental health side of things and, and kind of carving it out for more and more specific patient populations. That seems to be where it's going. I mean, most, if you look at the pipelines of these digital therapeutics companies, which is really fascinating, something that I track, that's unusual. Like no other digital health company prior to this category would say, you know, here's the six products we have that we're working on, which, you know, maybe that's all vaporware, but it's still really interesting to publish a roadmap. It's a real pharma biotech thing to do. Tech companies never do that. So that gives you some insight as to what might be coming. And um, yeah, I mean, it kind of tracks with what I just said. It's, there's not a whole lot of surprises there. Like I don't see any brand new emerging therapeutic areas that are suddenly going to pop up in the next five years, but right. it's moving more and more and deeper into, you know, mental health. And, you know, since we're talking about the pipeline and, you know, again, uh, as a subscriber, I'm always checking the pipeline. I mean, it's, it's super interesting. And what <laughs> I you should started update it more. With, yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do. Um, and, you know, you started actually, you know, if we rewind back to the discussion, you kind of said, well, PDTs, you're looking at it as replicating the pharma model, right? And last November, you know, inspired by many discussions, I kind of said, well, in theory, the DTX companies, the ongoing definition of it, uh, knows much more about the end consumer than the typical pharma companies, and they're actually building experiences around it. So my post was, you know, is it the DTX companies surrounded by a consumer-like experience going to swallow the pill 
or are the pharma companies going to swallow a DTX company just from a pure investment and purchasing power perspective? You know, I've also been joking around. It's a little bit of a frenemy kind of a relationship yep. between the two, especially as the DTX companies are growing. Where's your head on where pharma stands on this? And of course, it will vary by company, but just as a general. Yeah, it's a big question. I probably can't answer that one comprehensively, but I think there's a couple of things that I think have sort of come out in the last yeah year plus that I would say if you asked me or anyone in this space a year and a half ago, there would probably be stronger, you'd hear stronger opinions about the need for a pharma partner to help drive sales. You know, I think that's a big challenge for these digital therapeutics companies. How are they actually going to sell this into providers and payers? I mean, that's, that's a big lift. So I think there was thinking early on, maybe even two years ago, that of course, that's going to be a pharma sales force. So you need that partner to do it. And then when you start to see some of the unraveling of those partnerships at the end of 2019, there's a little bit of a, a change of direction for the industry and thinking like, oh, we don't need pharma for that. We can build our own sales channel and we can maybe take advantage more of newer technologies to drive distribution. So even though it's prescription, you know, maybe we can pair it with a teledoc like model and start prescribing this via, you know, virtual visits. And we start to see that with pair therapeutics and their insomnia, PDT, Somaris. So, you know, some of that you can kind of see coming as that sales transition happened last year. I started speculating about that thanks to you know conversations with others in the industry that that was likely to happen, and uh, I was still surprised it happened so quickly yep. with Somerist. But you know the pharma role here is varied. I think a lot of what we're seeing today it's more research partner helping them develop these and like bringing the clinical expertise from the therapeutic areas that they know better probably than anyone working in PDTs. So. That's probably the main role. I think it's less now on the sales side. We'll probably still see some of that, but it's probably, you know, that's not going to be the typical model. And, you know, for me, the question, as I look at these companies that have multiple partners, you know, within multiple pharmaceutical companies, I really wonder what that does to their exit strategy. You know, if you really are distributed across, you know, nobody has five or six partners that I know of, but even just a couple you know, what happens in five years when it's time to get acquired and one of them buys you? What does that relationship look like with the remaining customers? You know, do you just discount that revenue? Does that new owner start to work with their competition on these? So there's there's precedent there, I'm guessing, in, in the pharma world, but it's still, again, sort of an unusual piece of this that I, you know, didn't cover in my old days, just covering digital health more broadly. So it seems like you need to be careful about how you work with pharma now. And um, there's, you know, beginning to be a number of case studies that are worth looking at to see maybe not how, how not to do it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, while not pretty distant, but I guess you could look at PBM model, right, uh, where, you know, pharma was either acquiring or heavily investing, and then that became a conflict of interest at some point, right, mm -hmm. just yeah. from influence perspective. So, you know, we may or may not see something like that in the DTX space. So we touched on, you know, a little bit on <laughs> the distribution channel and pharma. So let's kind of keep with, because, you know, from a business of DTX, right? I mean, we've seen Click Therapeutics do a large, you know, 500 million deal with BI. I mean, you know them and tracking them much better than I am. Let's talk a little bit about the business and some of the investments. So maybe we start with the investment uh, since you started tracking them uh, and there's multiple numbers and then switch over to how are these companies making money and getting priced? Yeah. So some of this stuff I'm less comfortable kind of riffing off the cuff on. Yeah, I'm, I'm used to writing more so than kind of speaking, but yeah, on the investment side, I, I track it pretty broadly. So I'm looking at, you know, in my free newsletter, it's, it's not just digital therapeutics. So I don't know if I have too much to say about PDTs as a category as it relates to investment, but you know certainly 
there's a ton of investment right now. I think some of the companies that are further along, there's some signs that there's been a little bit of a slowdown, you know, on an individual basis. Like some of them have had a little bit of challenge raising money, probably pre-pandemic. And then you start to see sort of alternative financing coming in. So that's a bit of a sign. You know, I, I think companies that you pointed to Click, I think that's a good example. They just raised 30 million, I think, this past week. So they're kind of chugging along. They hadn't raised since mid-2018. So that's a good amount of time. And yeah, you know, I think some of these deals that they've announced, they've been able to put a price tag on them, which I think was confusing to a lot of people covering digital health because that, that's not a common practice to say, oh, this was potentially a $300 million deal, or this is a potentially $500 million deal when it's all said and done. But of course, you know, if you read that carefully and you're used to these kinds of agreements, you know, almost all of that is uh, very much still to come and, and may never materialize. So yeah, I think early on, I was kind of giving Click Therapeutics a hard time about they were getting listed as unicorn status in some of these investor lists. People thought the $300 million figure was, was actually a VC that they had raised or a strategic round that they had raised from some of these pharma companies. You know, when in fact they at that time had only raised maybe 10 to 20 million total. So, but you know, it's interesting. I'll just interject here that even some of those deals, so like the click deal with uh, BI, is also starting to almost like replicate the pharma BDNL, the molecular yeah. BDNL deals, right? Right. Um, structures. Which is why I think they take a more pharma like strategy when it comes to their PR and announcing these, these sorts of financial numbers. But it's just kind of, to me, as someone who's written about digital health for so long, some of these pharma-like practices kind of creeping more into digital health, it's sort of confusing, I think, for people like me, other journalists that aren't used to covering pharma to see some of these numbers and like, you know, what, how to take them. And yeah, I think Click's a great example of a company that's very pharma-like in, in a lot of what they do. So they're definitely one to watch. I'm curious to see what they do with this latest funding round. It seems like they're set to have a big year next year. So I'm, I'm curious to see some of their their stuff come to market and, and more of their studies get published. You know, you kind of alluded to, um, you know, we keep talking about digital, digital technology, you know, where do you see the role, right? Because I think part of, you know, the, these series, I'm, I am going to talk to real patients and doctors and the, and the impact of these digital therapeutics to individuals, where do you see a role of human being in this? And this goes along, you know, doctor prescribing and nurse and even health coaches as part of the umbrella of human beings. I think that to get specific, we're talking about prescription digital therapeutics. As the name implies, these need to be prescribed. So I think apart from the patient, the key human involved in getting these to market is the prescriber. And the thinking for a lot of these companies early on was, well, how does most medicine get practiced today? How do most interventions get into the hands of the patient? It's via the prescription pad. And so they're absolutely a key constituent for this particular model. You need to convince them to do it. You need to get the word out that your product exists. You, know, you need to get into formularies. So a lot of the go-to-market is, is about the physician. But you know, for those products, I think once it's been prescribed, it's going to change company to company. But for the most part, I think the idea with a prescription digital therapeutic is that the role of humans after that is lessened. It's now like a drug. It's in some way you take it, it influences you, it changes your behavior, it treats you via software. And apart from all of the work that patients do, not in any way to undermine or, or lessen that amount of work, you know, I think it's really up to the patient at that point and this, this piece of software to, to make, make it happen. And I think in other categories, especially you know, disease management, digital therapeutics that kind of have a manage claim when they get, they get regulated, I mean, those I think often do have much more of a human element involved, especially coaching. And so for that category, 
I think it's much, much more rare to not have a coaching element or a provider element as part of the loop. It's sort of remote patient monitoring meets behavior change and and all of that. I mean, humans have a ton of a role to play there. So I think, you know, very few companies are trying to keep them out of the loop. And when they do, it's it's really a, a scale story. They think, all right, if I can just make this less about humans, then we can get to many more patients. So sometimes that strategy has a moral compass to it. And other times it's really just about making more money more quickly. And it's probably not a good thing. And we probably would see better outcomes if coaches were involved or providers were involved. So, you know, there's a balance there and you got to case by case, got to kind of really dig in to see what's really going on. But, um, you know, companies like Lark, I think, are in that category where they're doing less with humans, not that they're not involved, but that's sort of their strategy. I think companies like uh, Big Health with Sleepio and, and Daylight, they definitely have more of a software focused, less humans involved approach. And, you know, I think there's a place for that. And even among these companies, both of which are, you know, on the enrollment side of things, I think they are especially big health is sort of an outlier. I think most of those companies do have coaches or providers in the loop and they don't so much. So um, sort of the exception that proves the rule, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting to see also by the therapeutic area, right? And, you know, back to this, uh, you know, I, I hate the word adherence, but, you know, yeah. are you adhering to the tool or the digital therapeutic? Are you using it, you know, if you have insomnia and you're just tired, constantly, you're going to want to use the product, right? And yep. so again, depends on, I think, the therapeutic area in question as well. So yep. so as you've been diving in, let's step back to kind of your your introduction and maybe a little bit of what gets you up in the morning, um, you know, with or without the alarm as it relates to this yep. as a journalist. Yeah. Yeah, man, we, we missed our alarm today. It was a bit of a rat race uh, getting the kids on the bus. So, but what did get me out of bed as always, you know, I, I think for me, the, the kind of journalist that I am, I think, is more document-based. You know, I, I definitely love getting on the phone and talking to sources. That's always a big part of it. But but some journalists, I think that's their primary or only source of information. And I have found, I think, the kind of work that I do, the kind of writing that I do, lends itself to more digging, to more, you know, digging into government databases, finding filings. And I think if you're a subscriber, you know, you know, I'm finding contracts, I'm pulling out pricing from those. You know, th there's actually a ton of information on the internet right now in plain sight, if you know where to look. And that's a big part, I think, of what's driven my content strategy at Exits and Outcomes versus, you know, my, my prior work, which was typically more announcement driven and, you know, interview driven, which, which has its place. But, you know, what I'm trying to do is cut through the noise, get insights out there and try to surface things that, you know, aren't as well known about, you know, all these companies. And, um, that's really what, what gets me up and that keeps me going. It's kind of the chase, the hunt, like finding something. It's, there's something I think very primordial about that, you know, and you find a, just an amazing piece of information buried somewhere. It's like, oh man, I just, you know, I just found the acquisition price. I just figured <laughs> this out. I just, you know, they acquired this company based on some patent filing, you know, and that, that's a good day for me. And, and those happen more and more. So that's what keeps me going. I, you know, I'd say maybe also just from a kind of grander scheme of things, when I started out, I was writing about mobile content on early phones, pre-iPhone. It was, you know, how can the music labels figure out how to get, get people to listen to music on their phones, you know, kind of the pre-iPod days. And how can the TV companies get contents on, onto this or get some of their shows onto these tiny little screens? And so it was really fascinating, you know, from a technological perspective like this, there's bandwidth issues, there's, there's issues of the quality of the picture and all that. But it was, you know, not a great way to spend your day just sort of writing about entertainment and technology. So 
after about three years of doing that, I, you know, I saw that healthcare needed this same sort of digital transformation. I think everyone in the space knows this now, but so back in 2008, that's why we started Moby Health News is I thought it was inevitable that healthcare would eventually start to embrace some of this technology and it needed it. And a big part of what drew me into that and away from sort of other parts of the tech world was just the need there and, you know, how much more impactful and meaningful that sort of transformation would be, you know, versus just all of us being able to watch Netflix on our, on our iPhones. So I'm, I'm really happy that I made the switch into healthcare and away from, you know, music and entertainment technology, uh, which I'm sure would have been fascinating, but not nearly as, as meaningful of a ride, you know, these last 15 years. Well, unless you're applying it to, you know, music as medicine, right. And sure. uh, yeah, all, yeah. All, all of those technologies, <laughs> but, uh, yep. I'm maybe going to just uh, go off the cuff and call you the digital health detective from now on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, it feels that way some days. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of fun and, um, you know, people seem to appreciate it. So it's it's been great. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Eugene. Thanks so much for tuning into Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're then automatically notified when we post our upcoming episodes where I speak with dozens of leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Brian Dolan's Exit and Outcomes, you can always find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. You can connect with me personally on Twitter at HealthEugene or follow my journey of writing my first book, Heart Pill to Swallow, at heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.